Well, we've been in a series for a little while now thinking about like, the kingdom of God, particularly thinking about the way that God invites us to play a part in his unfolding story of rescue and recreation. That honestly, like, wherever we are, whatever we do, whoever we are, in prayer and in action by faith, that we actually get to play a part in what God wants to do in the world. And Obviously, we've realized that at the heart of that story, it's always about bringing people back into relationship with God. We realize that the heart of the Christian story is about forgiveness and restoration of our relationships with God. And I I just would always want to say at the beginning of any service and any moment, if someone's invited you along to church today and you're just figuring this stuff out, I want to tell you that God loves you and that he longs for a relationship with you. And if you've never taken that conscious step to like step into a relationship with him by asking him into your life, then today is a great day. It's a great day for that. But we also like recognize that when we give our lives to Jesus, it's not just a prayer, it does something. And it goes somewhere. And it calls us into this lifelong story of following Jesus to everywhere. That the Christian story goes absolutely everywhere, to everything, to everyone. And because of that, there's no spaces where God doesn't really care about. There's no industries, there's no callings, there's no issues. Like there's nothing that when God gets hold of our lives, he calls us deeply to follow him everywhere. Um, But we realize that that can sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable, that some of the things God cares about can put us into spaces and conversations that, quite frankly, honestly, we'd rather not have, that we'd rather steer clear of, that we'd rather draw a line that says, this is my Christian life here over here, and everything over here doesn't really relate to it, when in fact we know that following Jesus is about um, everything. And so we will sometimes in our Christian lives get called into uncomfortable conversations. Honestly, the kind of conversations which can feel a bit thorny, Topics around the Thanksgiving table that we honestly would rather not have with our uncles and aunts and our grandparents or whoever they might be. But we believe, and honestly, Vintage, this is our view on everything, that if God cares, if God cares about something, then we are invited to care about it um, too. And so we are committed at Vintage as best we can in the best ways we know how how to have like difficult conversations about uh, things. It uh, won't always be sermons, uh, sometimes it's through our partners, sometimes it's through small group discussions, but we want to be that rare kind of community that with deep theology, with a commitment to scripture and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we can talk about some of the harder things in the world. Um, and I tell you that uh, because today we're going to have a little bit of a real talk about something. Um, and it's a subject that honestly has been largely not talked about in churches for a long time now. It's been a bit shunned out of the way because of the way it's been portrayed and because it's become one of those kind of difficult, politicized, partisan sort of issues. Um, but in order for us to talk about it, I, I, I kind of need your help. I need your help. Um, please, would you help me uh, in many ways? <laughs> but, but particularly because this is the danger, right? The danger is that we're going to this morning talk about one thing. And your brain might go down a particular pathway when we talk about this one thing. What your brain might do to you as we talk about one thing is either this morning or sometime later in the week or in your community group, it might do this. It might say, ah, I've been trying to figure out those vintage guys for a long time. I've been trying to figure out what kind of church they are. I've been trying to figure out what they believe about lots of things. And this morning, Pastor Ben spoke about this one thing. But this one thing is linked to about 26 other issues and positions and things over here, 
which means that if Pastor Ben is talking about this one thing, he probably means all of these other things, right? And you might then therefore go, ah, Vintage is like that kind of church, or Pastor Ben is that kind of pastor, and I've figured it all out. Please don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. I haven't got anything to say this morning about the other 25 things that might pop into your brain. They are topics for another day, and if you look back through our preaching history, if you look at who we partner with, you'll find other information about other topics elsewhere. Um, in fact, if you do really want to talk about those other 25 things, buy me a really good cup of coffee or a pint of really good British beer, we can talk, okay, but just one thing today, is that okay? And so what I really want you to ask the question as we're going through this is simply this, is this of God? Does he care about this? And if he does, what should I think? What should I do in response to this? Now, I've worried you, I've worried you. You're all, you're all going, oh no, what have I come to? I was supposed to go to the beach today, okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about creation care, about the very ground that we stand on, that we walk on, that we interact with every day. And specifically, we want to talk about the role that God gives to us as his followers to care for the world around us. That how on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, that as we walk through the weeks, the very things that we're talking about in this series, there is something for us to engage with in this story. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background here. So as you guys well know, because you, if you've been here the last weeks, you know that I, I'm, I am a car guy. I have always been a car guy from the age of two. But if you found me as a 20-something-year-old working in the car industry, uh, running a business, you might have said to me, like, well, Ben, what do, you, what do you think, right? What do you think about the environment? What do you think about those topics? And you might have got me to say something like this. Well, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that the number one call ever is an invitation to follow him with our lives. And I believe that ultimately that will lead us to eternity with him. But actually, I don't really care about the other stuff too much. I don't. I actually don't mind that I have a carbon footprint the size of a small industrialized nation uh, with all of the businesses that I run because this is all, this world's a bit broken and one day God's going to bring us a better one. And if God takes anything from the old world to the new one, let's just hope it's Ferraris and everything else is like, it's not relevant anymore. It honestly wasn't really on my radar, but as I went to seminary and started to really engage and think in these areas, I've come to a different conclusion that actually there might be something for God to call us into that's an exciting story. It's actually a brilliant story of renewal and restoration and redemption, um, which is worth talking about. So let's have our reading this morning. Willen's going to bring it for us. Uh, there he is over there. And we're going to be reading from Genesis 1. If you've got your Bibles, always super helpful to have them here at Vintage. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. So let's have it now. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed on it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything ha that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So this is the account of God creating the first human beings. And what we notice like absolutely immediately off the bat is that the world, the earth creation is God's and he loves it. Like he really seems to love it. I'm sure when I was growing up, right, this is kind of what I understood or what was said of me, that basically like God made a world that was kind of neutral, good in places, a little bit broken in other ones, a, bit, a little bit like a version one, a beta testing thing. But God created human beings and they were good, really the best thing. They were the, what everything was really all about. And that one day, because the world is a bit broken and messed up, God's going to make a version two. And that operating system is going to be much, much better and human beings will enjoy it a lot more. But actually, if you notice in Genesis 1, it doesn't really read quite like that. If you notice in Genesis 1.31, it literally says this, God saw all that he'd made, like everything that he'd made. And it was very good. Everything. I kind of imagine God standing back at the end of the creation story and standing alongside Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like looking at the rivers and the lakes and the fjords and the jungles with the monkeys and the dinosaurs and the elephants with the funny like noses and looking at the spiders and the coral reefs and just going like, oh my goodness, like do you see what we've made? Do you see the inherent beauty and the goodness, not just in the individual component parts, but the very way this thing goes together? This is like a sense of joy in Genesis 1 and 2, which I feel like I sometimes miss, about just how God good God says this whole thing is. I feel like, um, you know, when, when we think about the world, we can almost see it a little bit like we see buildings. You know, this building is a functional space. You know, it, it is useful and it's beautiful in places. If you look closely, you'll see it's also quite crumbly and falling apart and, and it, it does a purpose. But really what we think is the most important things are what we do in our relationships or our worship when we stand within the building. But in fact, actually, it, if we really dig into scripture, we realize that there's something about the creation order that really seems to matter to God, that it really is part of God's good purposes we read it in the Psalms. Notice this in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Psalm 89. The, earths are, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that's in it. In fact, even Paul then quotes that exact phrase in 1 Corinthians when he then repeats, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I don't know if you ever noticed it, like the entirety of the story is the Lord. Everything, the whole piece, inclusive, total, all, everyone and everything within it. Um, let me ask you a question. You can turn to the person next to you for five seconds each. Could you name one possession that you have that you really care about? One possession to the person next to you. On your marks, get set, go. All right. Okay, super fast. Sorry if you both didn't get a go. Anyone brave enough to just shout out for me 
one precious possession that you have that you care about? Sorry? Your house, yes. Your vintage bass, not like a vintage church bass, but a vintage bass. Okay, bass guitar. All right, any more? Uh, hand up over there somewhere. Your wedding ring, good answer, well done. <laughs> Much better than a bass. Uh, joking, sorry, maybe true. Okay, one more, let's have one more. Any more? Yes. Your books, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Well, we presumably care for those things. I'm sure that Victor looks after his base, and I'm sure that wedding rings get looked after and books get looked after because they matter. But it's interesting that God does exactly the same with all of creation. Look at Psalm 65. You care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For so you ordained it. You drench its furrows, you level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and the cart, your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow, the hills are closed with gladness, the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. Right, there's just like something even in the ecosystems, there's something in the way that God put this whole structures together that speaks about how much he cares and he loves. In fact, what we read is that because God cares about it so much that he put someone to be in charge and look after it. We read it in Genesis chapter 1, 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Straight into the next chapter, Genesis 2, the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Right? We've been thinking this series, haven't we, a lot about identity, We've been thinking about the kind of things that God calls us into, what it actually means to follow him on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday, what purpose we have along the way. Um, and I know because you guys have been emailing me and it's been a wrestle, I know, to think about some of the answers, but I don't know if you've ever seen this answer before. Like when God made us in his image, he says he made us so that we would look after, we would care for, we would steward this very world so here's the truth. God made you to be a farmer. A farmer. You're like, no, I live in LA. Like, no, God made you to be a farmer. Look, just to, so you understand this, okay, right. Here is a picture of John Lewis, okay. John Lewis, <laughs> possibly the wisest man in the world. Let's be honest, right? Incredible. Our board chair, he's served faithfully since we started Vintage. His term, actually, as our board chair comes up at the end of the year. He's amazing. But here, here's something you don't know about John Lewis. This is what he does at the weekends. Look, there he is. John Furrows Lewis. It's not just him, though. Look, here's Rachel Repco. Looking wonderful. Uh, looking wonderful. She's actually serving in kids right now. Um, she's been our board secretary for the last three years. Absolutely amazing. Incredible uh, woman of God. But here's what you don't know about her. Look, here is Rachel at the weekend. There she is, look. <laughs> Rachel Greenfingers Repco, incredible. Uh, I'm about to get fired, uh, so this will be the last time I see you, but just to even it out, here's me. There I am. Um, uh, 
I have nothing more to say. <laughs> There's something about being human that means that we are called into this action of caring. In fact, the name Adam that we read of in Genesis 1 actually is from the root Adama, and it literally means earth man, man connected to the dust, dust itself. And if you look through the Old Testament, you see this incredible connection between blessing and ground and land and farming and earth and food. There is this deep sense of connection. Maybe we don't necessarily feel it in LA, but it's definitely there in Genesis. Back in the days uh, that I did work in the car industry, I got a phone call one day from some great friends who were getting married. And they said to me, like, Ben, um, we don't have a lot of money because we work for a church, but we really need a wedding car. Like, can you help us? And so I said, well, tell me what you want. And they listed out all this, their dreams of the perfect wedding car. And my heart in that moment, it, it leapt and it sank simultaneously, if that's possible. It leapt because I knew the exact car that they were after. And it sank because I knew what it would take to get hold of it. The car that they described was a beautiful, classic old Rolls Royce. And I knew who had one. My boss had one. <laughs> The owner of the company that I worked with had this pristinely restored old gold Rolls Royce. And so I called him one afternoon and I said, hey, look, I, if I really look after it, could I borrow the Rolls for the weekend? Um, and honestly, I thought he would say no. But amazingly, because he was obviously in one of his rare good moods, he said, yes, you can borrow the Rolls. And so on a Friday afternoon, I went to his house and I picked up the classic Rolls Royce. I have never driven more slowly in my life. <laughs> I mean, literally five miles an hour. What, it was, I was like almost like the Secret Service agent, like willing people away from the vehicle. Like hedgerows, other vehicles, cars, like anything. Just keep away. I mean, it got a lot worse when there was a bride in the back too. I was just like, please do not damage the vehicle. And the reason I, obviously, I felt like that was not just because it was valuable. Obviously, it had an intrinsic value but because it was the prized possession of my very boss. Not to look after the Rolls-Royce would actually be to do very significant, probably career-ending, damage to my relationship with him. And it seems like in some senses we have a similar calling in the way that we look after the world we are inhabiting. We have an identity to care for it as farmers or stewards or gardeners in creation. But we also find that that's the home for worship too. Um, let me ask you another question. You can just shout this one out. Where's your favorite place to worship God? Just give me some shout outs. Anywhere, where do you like to worship? A river. Thank you. In bed, did you say? In bed. All right. Thanks for coming. Uh, anything else? The church, good answer. Anything else? The beach in your car. Okay, lots of places. When I was an undergrad student, my favorite place ever was there was this big hill outside of my university campus. It was like the highest point for like 50 miles. So I would go up on the top of it in the evening and I would, I would stand looking out over like the rivers and the lakes and the cities and the fields and I would stand there and just be almost just overwhelmed by the scale of it. I would look at the stars in the sky, and I would, on one side, feel absolutely tiny, absolutely insignificant, but on the other side, like overwhelmed by God's goodness, overwhelmed by the kind of God who we have who would 
bother to make any of this so that I could enjoy it. That I realized that actually I was created for a purpose within this amazing story. There's something about standing on rivers or beaches, or even in bed maybe, where we actually get to experience something of the goodness of God and who, what he's like. Just notice it's actually that all of creation points towards who God is, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. Now, obviously, just to be clear, we don't worship creation. That's not Christianity. That's something else. But we do worship in creation. There's something about this thing that tells us about what God's like. And not just that it tells us what God's like, it also joins in in the worshipping story. Notice Psalm 96. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes and he comes to judge the earth. He'll judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Like we're caught up in the creation story. And because of that, maybe we shouldn't be overwhelmingly surprised that when we talk of mission, we talk of the kingdom of God that he invites us into, that earth has something into the story too. In these last weeks, we've been praying. We've been recounting like, God, your kingdom come. On, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like Basically, what we've been discussing is the fact that we see a future when one day God will restore and redeem all things. Like We see a future when God is going to restore and make things beautiful. But when we pray your kingdom come, what we're basically saying is like all of those things, all that will be true one day, could we taste it? Like, could we sense it? Could we feel it? Could we know something about it even where we are today? And it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm just going to quickly grab a Bible. If you read um, in Revelation 22, last page of the Bible, assuming the last page of your Bible is not like a table of weights and measures or a contents page or something, right? It's a description. It's a description of what heaven will be like. And if your Bible is like this one, above chapter 22, it literally says, Eden restored. It speaks about a garden, about a river, about a tree, about a city coming down and being part of the creation story. In fact, the language there is very, very similar to what's on the very first few pages. In many ways, it's almost like, if I can do it, your Bible loops round. That the recreation story is not completely different from the creation story in the first place. That when God will restore all things, He's not basically going to do what the Gnostics said, which was take you know, your soul and your heart and your relationships and send them to a cloud where you will sit with harps and things. He's going to resurrect your body, which may feel good or not, depending, I don't know how you feel, but that's the promise. When it says in Revelation that God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, that's right. And I don't fully understand it, but the word is not the word neo, new, neo, which would have been the normal word to use. 
It's actually a, a different word altogether. And it's a word, kainos, which describes a qualitative renewal. It's bringing a freshness, a new beginning to something that exists. That is what like, the story is going to be one day. And so when we pray, God, your kingdom come on earth, we mean it. Would it come here, now? And of course, we mean it in so many different ways. Um, our network of churches has these marks of mission that they describe, which um, that people with much bigger brains have, and we'll put them on the screen here. They are um, to proclaim the good, good news of the kingdom. Salvation, we believe it. To teach, to baptize, and nurture new believers. To respond to human need by loving service. To transform unjust structures of society. To challenge violence. To pursue peace and reconciliation. And then if you notice this fifth one, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain the renew the life of the earth. Now, I bet in this room we have different reactions to every one of those five. And if you push me really hard, I'll tell you that the first one is so very much the most important one in my view. But in all of these areas, when we pray your kingdom come, we don't basically go, don't worry, God's going to sort it one day. Don't worry. Peace, reconciliation, love, justice, they'll get fixed one day. We'll just wait it out. In all areas, what we pray is God by our choices, by our actions, in the way that we live, the prayers that we pray, could we be part of the story now? Like, God seems to care. God cares. And his promise, ultimately, is that one day he will renew the earth. Just look at two chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal the land. God one day will restore all that feels broken and lost. But how, how could we be part of engaging in this area? Should we? And as I said at the beginning, what do we do when it's just become such a difficult thing to talk about within churches and families and social settings? It's just become so divisive. Like, what could we do? Because it seems to me like it, it sort of really matters. Like, God seems to really care. And at least in my story, actually just looking totally towards heaven and thinking that this is all just a waste of time isn't enough along the way. I realize that actually if God says, love your neighbor, then I have to think about what that means. And it's hard. It's hard. Because, of course, it's about choices. It's about actions. It's about the things I do on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday. But we live in this moment, it seems, in the creator's story when this is really quite serious. I pulled these from very reputable sources. And you can look these up yourself. But we live in a time in history where like, sea levels are rising somewhere between three and six feet this century, which means that in California, not too much, but in Bangladesh, where millions of people live almost at sea level in incredibly poor areas, they're going to experience like the wiping out of their habitats and their homes. We are already seeing increased extreme weather events and catastrophic losses of life and floods and storms. We are already seeing animal species going out extinct faster than at any time in human history, probably about a thousand times faster than natural because of the human activity we're having. We've got ocean acidification, we've got plastics, we've got so many things that can overwhelm us along the way, but 
It seems to me like when God says, care and love your neighbor, there is something for me in the story. I, um, I was challenged by what Catherine Hayhoe, she describes herself as a professor and a evangel- ev- what's that word? evangelical Christian. Um, she is professor at Texas Tech, and she says, climate change strikes hardest against the very people we're told to care for and love amplifying hunger and poverty, increasing the risks of resource scarcity that can exacerbate political instability and even create or worsen refugee crises. It it kind of seems to me that along my story, even though I didn't mean to, even though it was never my intentional action, but I have made lots of choices, and I do every week, where I take the Rolls Royce out and I scrape it down the verge. Like, I, I don't really think about it, I just do it. And so what, like, what could Christians do? Should Christians do anything? Well, I wanted to ask someone to help me in this little bit um, who's smarter than me um, to think about this because it feels to me practical and not supposed to be really overly complicated. So um, this last 10 minutes we have before communion, I wanted to um, invite my friend. Um, he's your friend too. He's part of your church. Um, he has a beautiful wife who's a better singer than him. Um, he's a community group leader, um, and his name is Stephen. Um, he's a, could you welcome him as he comes and joins us for minutes? Um, so I just thought we could have a little conversation. Um, and I know, um, I know Stephen that you love Jesus. Yep. I know that bit. Um, Start there. Good. Yeah. But I know this has been part of your story. So why, um, why do you care about any of this? Is it relevant? Should we talk about it? Absolutely. And uh, it's a pleasure to be talking about this with all of you. I'm totally thrilled to be talking about this here in the church. Um, I didn't see your sermon beforehand, but you hit on a lot of the reasons why it matters to me. Um, first of all, as we saw in Genesis, we are called to be stewards of the earth. Um, it's very clearly one of the roles that we have. Um, but for me personally, I have a, where do I love to worship? I love to worship in nature, open spaces, up on mountains in Yosemite. These are places where I feel uh, sort of the power, the creative power, and just the almighty blessing of God. So it's very personal to me. Um, something that resonates with me a lot is what you were talking about just at the very end that when we care for creation, we care for everybody else on this planet who depends on creation. And so it's a very tangible way for us to love others. And then finally, the view that this earth will be redeemed. This is creation, and as we care for it, it's not a single-use disposable cup that we're (laughs) going to drink it and toss it and move on to the next kingdom. Like, this is the creation that's ultimately redeemed, and so that's very important to me. Wow. Thank you, mate. And we've been talking over this series about like how people are called to make choices through their week and where it's led people along career paths and things. Um, tell us where you've ended up and what you're doing because of all of this stuff. Sure. So I came to California 11 years ago. I grew up in the Midwest. And when I started to get excited about clean energy and climate change, I wanted to come to a place where I thought there was a lot of ambition and motivation and and progress. And so I studied electrical engineering and I studied physics and I wanted to get into renewable energy. Fortunately, I've been able to do that. I work for Southern California Edison, one of the big electric companies here. And my current role, I'm on the strategic planning team. So I'm thinking about the long-term vision for the company and for the state. And we just put a white paper out. I did a lot of work on this about what 
kinds of actions we'll have to take within the state to be able to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions. Wow, incredible, absolutely amazing. So I know for me along the way, like this is one of those topics which can be so overwhelming, you, you almost sit as a human being within it going like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's all so big out there anyway. I don't have any real agency to change much. So if people wanted to talk about this and get involved, like what are just some of the things that can help along the, the way? What are some of the things people can do? I think that one of the most helpful things we can all do is just learn a little bit more. It's helpful to come here and hear sermons. It's also helpful to go out and read. That's something everybody can do at their own pace, at their own time. You can go to the library. You can do what Christina and I you often do. library. After. What's a library? You know those little free things? Oh, that, no, no, okay. there's big free ones. Oh, okay, yeah, they're right. in every city. Um, we like to go to Vromans, which is just over here on Colorado, and they've got a, several great sections. They've got a great book section on nature, a great book section on climate. They even have a book by the scientist that you quoted, Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, called Saving Us. And it's a very, very good book about how to talk about these issues with other people. Great, okay. And thank you. And if... if people were like going to go, okay, well, maybe I could just do one thing. Because I think that's been, Laura and I have gone, okay, maybe we can do one thing because we probably can't do many things, but we could do one thing at a time. Like what, what's just some one thing maybe that would be a good thing for people to think about? Well, I'll share one thing that I do, and I know other people might have a different opinion on how feasible or how interested they might be in this. But one thing that I do is I think about what I eat and the environmental footprint associated with the food that I consume. So even when we read the sermon this morning, it said in Genesis, God gave us every green plant to eat. And the environmental footprint associated with eating plant foods is really important to me because it tends to be a lot lower than the environmental footprint, land, you, land water, fertilizer, things like that associated with eating. It's called higher on the food chain, uh, animals and things like that. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, so I, somebody once gave me this you know, analogy, this little illustration, which maybe you could comment on, but someone said it's really always good to help think about like, these three things on the screen. So like, where something comes from in terms of like, it's, whether it's farmed or whether it um, comes out of the ground or whether it's made in a factory, and also like, how, what it takes to get it to you that that kind of matters. Yep. They talked about like use in terms of like, well, what's actually used when you use it in the day to day. And then they talked about like where it goes one day when it's like thrown away and disposed of. I don't know, like, give me, give us some comments about choices that's helped you to make along the way. Well, if I could, let me, let me riff on this uh, recycling symbol that we all know and recognize. It's here on the slide twice. So this, this is very practical for all of us. We buy products every single day that have this symbol stamped on it but not all of us understand what it takes to get those products actually recycled and into new products. Very practical things. The recyclables, they need to be clean. Sorry if I feel like I'm lecturing, but you oh, can't wow. just put like a plastic jar that still has the peanut butter you know, stuck to it into the recycling and hoping it becomes another peanut butter jar. It's gotta be cleaned out. It has to be dry. It's good to remove the lids. And then one thing I see all my neighbors do that really is a, is a struggle, your recyclables, they shouldn't be in a trash bag, that white bag or that black bag that's easy to take everything out and dump it in the bin. If you dump it in the bin as a big mystery bag, it shows up at the recycling facility, recycling facility as a big mystery bag. They don't know what to do with it either. So actually dump all your loose recyclables into your recycling container. That'll help them get recycled. I just learned something. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> So I feel like we, I want to pray because I don't want this to you know, end up feeling overwhelming and too controversial for us to like, actually engage in in any way. But like, how can we pray for you in your role? Let's start with that one first. Sure. Um, 
probably two things. One is just day to day for the encouragement to continue to do the work. There's a lot of um, challenges. You talked about extreme weather and flooding. It can be overwhelming to think about the ways that climate is changing. Um, but also for me as a Christian in the workplace here in the city, to be able to show up and not just talk objectively about what's going on and what do we need to do, but be able to talk from the heart about right where we started this conversation. Yeah. Why do I care about this at all? Great. Thank you, mate. Um, well, I, in a moment, I'm just going to pray. I know kids have got a bit picked up for communion, um, or nursery kids do. But I, I wanted to just kind of finish with this idea of hope, because um, this is not a sermon, and it's not why you're involved in it, to make people feel really bad and like judge each other or anything at all. It's like an opportunity, or it feels like to me, to engage missionally when we think about Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays with what God wants to kind of do in the small choices, like what's going on in Trader Joe's versus like everything else. And so it feels to me like exciting that God is renewing something and he calls us into his renewing story. It seems hopeful to me that he is going to do it because he's promised to and he's faithful and that he calls us into it. So um, maybe we can just stretch out a hand to pray for Stephen and then I'm going to lead us in another bit of prayer. But we'll start by just praying for, uh, for him. Father, thank you um, for Stephen and thank you for just he and Christine and just their journey that they're on. Um, but Father, we also just pray for ourselves and um, we, we love you and um, pray just nothing more and nothing less than speak to us of what's true and of real and of you. Help us to care about the things that you care for and to be able to kind of discard the things that are not as important. But so Lord, just uh, implant on our hearts the things that matter to you uh, along this journey. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give you a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. So in a moment, kids are going to come back and we're going to take communion together. But I want us to just take a moment to pray. Um, I want to pray for what's going on in the Middle East today, what's happening in the earth in different places. But as we get towards communion, I also just want to offer an opportunity for confession. Uh, and you don't have to use the words that are going to come up on the screen. But if you're comfortable to and you want to, then we're going to just use these words to guide our prayers um, uh, in a moment. Um, so would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the earth. Thank you for the world that you care about. Thank you for the places of great beauty today, but also we recognize the places of conflict and brokenness. I, Lord, I'm so reminded today of the brokenness of the very land that you walked on 2,000 years ago that is just crying out and people who are dying today. Father, we cry out along with them that you would heal the land. You would heal the earth. You would heal the nations. You would heal lives. And Father, where people see only violence as the only option out of their struggles, we pray, Lord Jesus, for the de-escalation of what is broken and hurting along the way. And Father, for ourselves, we recognize, and I recognize, Lord, that often not meaning to, but just by not being informed or not caring uh, or just being driven by convenience, uh, that I make choices that... Um, are bad choices um, that don't honor my neighbor or don't honor the world that I've been entrusted to care for. And so Father, please Lord, would you help me today to live a different story, a better story that speaks of hope and about the goodness of your world and who you are. So let's use these words on the screen if you want to, join me. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we've sinned in thought and word and deed. We've not loved you with our whole hearts. 
We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. And thank you, almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, that you have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins and confirm and strengthen us in all goodness to keep us in life eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.